everybody. It is Monday, November 27th. Welcome back from this holiday weekend. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, how was your Thanksgiving? Mosh, put a fork in me. I am done. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just so much food. Just before the pod, I, just before the pod, Jill was lamenting. She's like, Mosh, I can't. I, I don't know if I can record this podcast. My stomach still hurts. It was just, you know what it is? It's not just one big meal. I feel like it was four full days of just Mm. eating and family and it was wonderful and 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 i calories had a, don't count during the holiday <laughs> tell that to my clothes that no longer fit <laughs> <laughs> wait so how was your first thanksgiving with olivia little turkey she did very well um i mean mind you she's not you know we're, we're not near solids yet but she was the uh the star of the show it was it was very nice. It was very nice. We stayed relatively close to home. We were at my mother in law's, uh, Mel, who put put together a very nice Thanksgiving. So very much enjoyed that. And um, we've already upgraded the the mini crib that we've had for her to a slightly larger crib because she's already starting to like turn around in there and stuff. So you know, it's it's pretty remarkable how well you know you guys all told me this moves quickly. And already we're like, okay, time to make the crib a little bit bigger. Before you know it, she'll be off to college. <laughs> We're actually touring campuses uh, this spring. Can never be too early. All right. Well, tons of news. So let's get to it here. A lot of developments in the Middle East. Dozens of Israeli hostages are now back in Israel. Palestinian prisoners also released as this deal enters its fourth and final day. So what comes next? Staying overseas, a surge in respiratory illnesses in kids in China and concerns that it could be a new virus. Yeah, we'll have what China and the WHO are saying about it. Sound familiar? 2023 doesn't need 2020's news, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Just to be totally clear. We have some good news so far, (laughs) we think. We'll tell you about it. Uh, Back here in the U.S., three Palestinian students were shot in Vermont. It is being investigated as a hate crime, what we know so far. And Derek Chauvin, remember him? He was convicted in George Floyd's killing. He has been stabbed in prison. Just the latest incident in the federal prison, Jill. We'll talk about what's going on. And in some lighter news, Black Friday shoppers hit a record when it came to U.S. online sales. And today is Cyber Monday. We have a special Mo News Premium Cyber Monday special we'll tell you about. (laughs) Of course we do. (laughs) Plus pickleball, but make it quieter. There are some serious efforts underway to keep America's new favorite pastime at a slightly lower decibel. Plus, Moshe is on this day in history. Your clue today, Jill, you were working as a waitress in a cocktail (laughs) bar. We'll have a little bit of uh, 80s music history, Jill, and we'll go back to the Crusades in a typical on this day in history. Okay, so let's start in the Middle East, where the fourth and potentially last day of a temporary ceasefire is underway. Over the weekend, over three consecutive days, the Hamas terror group released 40 Israeli women and children that they had been holding hostage for the last seven weeks. Powerful, emotional scenes played out in Israel as families reunited after weeks of uncertainty hugging and kissing for the first time since the terror attack. In many cases, though, the reunions are bittersweet. Hostages witnessed, in in some cases, the murder of their family and friends as they were abducted by Hamas to the Gaza Strip. In other cases, 
they didn't quite know the fate of some of their family members, only to find out this weekend that they were killed or still remain hostage in Gaza. In exchange, as part of the deal, the Israelis released about 120 Palestinians held in its prisons for various offenses. Hamas had demanded three prisoners for every one hostage released. Back to the hostages, Sunday's release included an American, Abigail Idan, who turned four years old while in captivity on Friday. President Biden had been pushing for her release as well as for the other nine Americans who are still in Hamas custody. Also released was Emily Hand. She is that nine-year-old Irish-Israeli girl. Her father, Thomas, had been particularly outspoken and and his story really just gut-wrenching. So she was at a sleepover at a friend's house when she was kidnapped along with her friend Hila and her friend's mom. Hila and Emily were released, although Hila's mother remains a hostage. Thomas, though, if you remember, he had done an interview early on in the war. And at the time, he was informed that Emily was killed. And he said through tears that he actually preferred it that way because he wouldn't want her to be a hostage under Hamas, given the cruelty and what she could possibly be experiencing. But it turns out that it was a case of mistaken identity. So she was actually alive and taken hostage. And now she is released and they are reunited. Yeah, some really incredible video came out over the weekend of Thomas uh, and Emily reuniting as well as Emily with her siblings. Jill, just so many incredible stories. Um, One that we've mentioned on the Instagram feed, uh, the story of Mayan Zinn. She's the mom who put out an op-ed piece in the Washington Post last week demanding that she be taken to Gaza to be with her daughters. If she can't be with her 15-year-old and 8-year-old daughter, she wants to go to them. Uh, Those two girls were among those released on Sunday. Daphna, who's 15, Ella, who's eight, they were released to their mother. Tragically, though, during the October 7th terror attacks, they witnessed their father uh, being killed by Hamas. Um, Their mother, of course, Mayan, survived, has been particularly outspoken, and they are all now reunited. So, you know, you mentioned it. In many cases, these reunions powerful to watch but but bittersweet given that you know these children or or even these adults are finding out you know they don't have a home to go back to and in some cases some of their relatives or loved ones are no longer alive and uh, in a bit of a surprise this weekend beyond the israeli women and children that were released another 18 hostages uh, as well they're citizens of thailand the philippines and russia so those countries had basically struck a separate deal with Iran and Hamas for the release of their citizens. And we're still unclear as to what the deal was, what Russia, the Philippines, and Thailand have promised uh, Hamas or Iran, but they were able to get many of their folks released, though a number of Thai citizens do remain hostage. There are a lot of Thai citizens that work in Israel. Either they work in the farmlands or they work as caregivers or caretakers. Um, So very notable that so many were also taken hostage Now, this temporary ceasefire agreement opening the door to the initial exchange of the hostages for prisoners was the most significant diplomatic breakthrough in the war since Hamas's surprise attack on October 7th. We learned late Sunday that Hamas is hoping to extend this ceasefire beyond the first four days. Hamas currently has 177 hostages remaining. Israel is demanding 10 hostages a day as part of that initial agreement. It is estimated another 60 or so children and women who are not soldiers are still being held. So that could take us through the week. Yeah, they basically agreed to this four-day deal with the option to extend it day by day. Um, The Israelis demanding at least 10 hostages a day. 
Of course, Hamas demanding three prisoners for every one hostage. So we'll see if that continues, um, Jill. That's certainly something we're all going to be closely watching today. Um, and things kind of were very touch and go over the weekend. On the second day of the exchange, the whole deal almost fell uh, completely apart. It required the Egyptian and Qatari governments to go into Hamas and demand that they abide by the agreement. So if this continues, uh, they'll continue to do the um, exchange for the women and children. They would need a separate deal for the estimated 116 men, uh, both civilians and soldiers, currently being held by Hamas. Jill, you mentioned on the Palestinian side the prisoners that were released from Israeli prisons. There were a number of celebrations over the weekend. Um, these prisoners all uh, come from the West Bank and Jerusalem, some of them with Israeli ID cards. Uh, a number of the prisoners were women, including the woman who had served the longest time in an Israeli prison, held for a whole variety of crimes, some for attempted murder and stabbings, one for an attempted suicide bombing, others for supporting terror groups, and then a number of teens ages 15 to 18 who had been arrested for throwing explosives or, in some cases, rocks. Palestinian prisoners in Israel are a huge issue um, among the Palestinian people, even those implicated in some attacks. They're viewed as heroes resisting the occupation. We shared some of the images and video uh, that uh, came in over the weekend of them returning basically as heroes in the West Bank and the Israeli authorities that tried to tell them not to celebrate. Those celebrations continued in many cases with the flags of Hamas, with the flags of Hezbollah. And some of these freed prisoners doing interviews saying, you know, thank God for um, Hamas, you know, appreciate all of you guys in Gaza who were able to, you know, through being martyrs yourself, you were able to get us out of prison. So there are some questions here as to the radicalization of some of these people and whether they're going to continue to face issues with some of the folks they've released from prison. Keep in mind, Yahya Sinwar, the head of Hamas in Gaza, was in a prisoner exchange uh, just over 10 years ago for an Israeli soldier. He was released from an Israeli prison. Of course, he would go on to then run Hamas in Gaza and be the mastermind of the October 7th attacks. At the same time, there are questions about some of those being held in Israeli prisons without being put on trial. Um, and that's been a, a huge controversy as well among the Palestinians, accusing the Israelis of, of detaining people, of holding, in some cases, hundreds of people without ever putting them on trial. Jill, we did get a question about a rock throwing. People surprised that a bunch of the released prisoners, Palestinian prisoners, had been serving prison time for rock throwing. Uh, keep in mind that the Israeli government has a up to a 20-year sentence for rock throwing in a number of cases. We're talking about large boulders. Uh, in a number of cases, uh, more than a dozen Israelis have died from rocks either being thrown on their windshields or thrown at their cars, a number of people injured in, in years, stones thrown over overpasses, etc. So the Israeli parliament several years ago passed increased sentencing for rock throwing, though Palestinian rights groups believe that the punishment here does not fit the crime. They believe that rock throwing is part of civil disobedience. And I'm not sure how many people were able to get to our special podcast. We put it out late Wednesday, just before the holiday. My interview with Khalil uh, Sayeg, he's a uh, Palestinian from Gaza. One thing that came up, and it's something that we saw over the weekend, Jill, the popularity of Hamas. He's talked about how, you know, basically Palestinians in Gaza, where Hamas has ruled for 16 years, are frustrated with the group, are over the group, don't love being led by their authoritarian leadership. But Hamas, at the same time, increasingly popular just a few miles away over in the West Bank, where the Palestinian Authority is viewed as corrupt, Hamas seen as gaining traction. And you certainly saw those 
images over the weekend with Hamas flags being flown above the Red Cross buses that were bringing home the prisoners, people thanking Hamas, people looking forward to Hamas, saying they're going to be part of the resistance with Hamas. And so the fact that West Bank Palestinians who have not been led by Hamas intrigued Hamas curious, if you will, given that they're not happy with the Palestinian Authority there. So that's something definitely to watch. Um, So that's the exchange. Jill, one other key aspect of this, of course, the humanitarian aid component over the weekend. Humanitarian aid led into Gaza the last few days, including northern Gaza. Several hundred trucks came in with water, food, and much-needed fuel. Yeah, over 1.7 million of the 2.3 million people who live in Gaza are now homeless, according to the U.N., Shelters are overcrowded and they're at more than four times capacity. The South has also been increasingly targeted by Israeli airstrikes in recent days that have killed and injured noncombatants. As Israel has been turning its attention to Hamas targets in the South, thousands headed north to check out their homes over the weekend to see what they could salvage, even though Israel had basically warned them not to go back to the war zone, going as far as dropping leaflets. There was a shooting incident where two Palestinians were killed, several injured, believed to be shot by the Israeli military after they had warned Palestinians not to cross back into the north. Though ultimately, many did try to go home, uh, Jill, in northern Gaza right now. Um, nearly half the buildings have been destroyed. Uh, in many cases, the people saying they want to salvage belongings, they want to look for loved ones who might have been buried under the rubble. Just, just horrific images coming out of Gaza and big questions here as to what will unfold now after a nearly 50-day war and now a four-day pause in the war. What happens next? The Israeli prime minister over the weekend uh, popped into Gaza to visit Israeli troops. Uh, He said that Israel will return with full force to destroy Hamas. The big question is, when does that happen? Uh, And how does that happen, given the amount of pressure Israel is facing, the Israeli government is facing, to get all the hostages home and continue this exchange, and the fact that Hamas clearly here wants to extend the ceasefire, looking to reset themselves after 50 days of war. Many of their communications have been brought down. Several thousand um, Hamas terrorists and commanders have been killed uh, in this initial phase of the war. So they're looking for a reset here uh, to figure out their next step. The big question is, you know, given the amount of destruction we've seen in northern Gaza, is there pressure from the U.S. on Israel not to start the war again? Certainly Biden is facing pressure domestically on that front. Uh, But of course, Israel says, you know, their plan is to ensure Hamas is no longer in power, to secure Israel again, ensure that attacks cannot emanate from Gaza, and then, of course, to bring home the hostages. And some of those are sort of in conflict with each other right now. One thing I'm watching for in the coming days, um, given the lack of popularity of Hamas among Arab countries, is will there be a come to Jesus moment where the Arab countries basically tell Hamas, like, hand over the keys, you're done ruling here. And in exchange, Israel will say, we won't assassinate your leaders or we won't continue this war. Basically, Hamas, you are causing so much damage to Gaza. Look what Israel has already done. You're done here. And, you know, ultimately, you may live to fight another day, but you can no longer rule Gaza. Something similar happened in the 1980s and the early 80s in Lebanon. The PLO at the time uh, basically was given a deal. The Israelis allowed the Palestinian leadership to escape Beirut after causing a uh, multi-year civil war there, an Israeli invasion, etc. And there was a deal, basically, like, you guys can get on a boat and leave. 
uh, and go somewhere else. Uh, you just can't be here anymore. And so will there be some sort of intervention there with Hamas? Would Hamas even abide by that? That is unclear at this point. But will there be some sort of deal that prevents Israel from having to continue the war and have to deal with the South, where right now there's a lot of Hamas leadership in the South, a lot of Hamas infrastructure in the South. But Jill, you have 1.7 million displaced Palestinians, and much of the North is destroyed. They don't have any place to go. So the humanitarian issue will only get worse if this war moves to the South, which is what is expected at the end of whenever this temporary ceasefire is. So you're saying that somebody, preferably in the Arab world, would have to say to Hamas, you could check out any time, you just can't stay here. <laughs> I mean, effectively, it's the Qataris and the Egyptians, who, by the way, intervened on Saturday to keep the deal going, who are sort of the adults in the room when it comes to Hamas being like, guys, this is what we need you to do. And, you know, in exchange, does Israel not immediately assassinate their leadership or continue basically, you know, this all-out war they have going on in Gaza. Because, you know, Hamas doesn't really care about the Palestinian civilians. They've made that very clear, right? Uh, But the rest of the Arab world does. So can there be some sort of bargain struck there, some sort of power sharing? But of course, that then goes against Israel's priority, which is destroy Hamas. So like many things that we see in warfare, ultimately the way to end a war, you typically need some sort of compromise, regardless of who started it, who was in the wrong initially, etc. If you're going to end the thing, ultimately, no one's ever going to get everything they want. Um, And so ultimately, what will that deal look like? And that's something that uh, we're going to look out for in the coming days, especially as much the world doesn't want to see a return to hostilities here. But of course, the Israelis, you know, have a lot that they still need to accomplish. And Hamas continues in its uh, social media to claim it's victorious and will continue to be victorious, however they define it. All right. We'll, of course, be keeping an eye on all the developments on the Mo News Instagram account. So definitely follow along there throughout the day. In the meantime, uh, before we get to the rest of the news, a quick word from our sponsor today. I know in my house we are definitely pressed for time and still want to eat healthy and nutritious meals. So that's where we are very excited about Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. Factor can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared and dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Jill, I've been loving them lately. I uh, mentioned them on the pod a couple of weeks ago. You know, grab and go from the fridge. Uh, I head out to our office, our, uh, our Mo News offices just down the street. Legit delicious, not like those frozen grocery <laughs> right. store dinners uh, <laughs> that many of us have tried in the past. Right. They're not like those those like microwavable hungry man dinners that, <laughs> that you think no. about from no, the no, 80s. No. These are legit. <laughs> like I like the spices. I really have been loving the taste of Factor. And you get to skip the extra trip to the grocery store, plus the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, and you still get the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals, they're ready in just two minutes. So all you've got to do is heat and enjoy. You can choose from over 35 weekly meals if you're looking for a special occasion meal during the holiday. Level up with Gourmet Plus options. They're made with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter mosh and asparagus Fancy. <laughs> and factor also has lunch to go things like grain bowls salad toppers they're ready to eat 
no microwave required. They have add-ons like apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites. There's also these cold-pressed juices that I love, shakes and smoothies. Again, ready in two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head over to factormeals.com slash monews50. Use the code monews50 to get 50% off. That again, that code monews50 at factormeals.com slash monews50 to get 50% off. Okay, time now for the speed read from the Associated Press. We start with this medical mystery in China that has been raising concerns in recent days. A surge in respiratory illnesses among kids that is filling hospitals across China is drawing the attention of the World Health Organization. The WHO last week formally requested that China provide information about a potentially worrying spike in illnesses and clusters of pneumonia in children. Mosh, it's like deja vu all over again. Uh, China responding that there is nothing new to worry about, telling the World Health Organization that the surge in infections is being caused by the flu and other known pathogens and not by a novel or previously unknown virus, like, for example, the coronavirus, which was previously unknown and novel. China had one of the longest lockdowns in the world. So this is their first full winter where people are no longer locked down and getting infections. They added that recent clusters of respiratory infections are caused by an overlap of common viruses, like the flu virus, uh, RSV, adenovirus, as well as bacteria uh, like pneumonia, which is a common culprit for respiratory tract infections. I mean, we did see something similar here over the last few winters. Yeah, and that's what China's saying, is that this is basically what you guys had in the U.S. last year with RSV, with flu. You know, a lot of kids are basically cooped up for a couple of years um, getting out there and having their first winter with all of these viruses. So at the same time, though, these outbreaks have swamped some hospitals in northern China, including in Beijing. That's where health authorities have actually asked the public to take children with less severe symptoms to other clinics and facilities because the hospitals are so swamped. So these images clearly drawing concern, clearly making people feel like, oh my God, this is deja vu from four years ago. And keep in mind that the emergence of new strains or other viruses typically starts with undiagnosed clusters of respiratory illness, a la COVID-19. Both SARS and COVID-19 were first reported as unusual types of pneumonia. So that's why for many people, oh my God, this is China, unusual pneumonia, um, hospitals are swamped. What are we looking at here? So the World Health Organization, unlike last time, uh, clearly trying to be much more on top of it, though they have received their share of criticism for their lack of transparency, for the lack of pushing on China. China received its much-deserved criticism for how it's dealt with SARS, how it dealt with COVID, where basically it didn't tell the world and basically lied to the world about what they were seeing. Now, based on the data they're sharing with the WHO, and we're going to continue to monitor this. The WHO says this is all about the immunity gap. Again, what we're talking about, what we saw last year um, in the U.S., what we're seeing in China now, basically people cooped up. Kids are now out. They're getting the virus um, for the first time in now four years in China. And so that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. That's the data WHO has. We'll continue to remain on top of it because, again, the track we're going to hear with the Chinese government and the World Health Organization, a little shaky. But let's hope this time the WHO is looking at some real data and not minimizing it anyway. Um, and clearly, you have a lot of folks here in the U.S. that are much more on top of it this time watching what's happening. From the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer who was convicted of murdering George Floyd, 
was stabbed in prison by a fellow inmate on Friday. The Federal Bureau of Prisons confirming that an inmate at the Tucson prison was stabbed by another inmate Friday afternoon. Chauvin required life-saving measures before being rushed to a hospital emergency room nearby. Authorities say he is now in stable condition and is expected to survive the attack. The facility where Chauvin was stabbed has about 400 inmates. It is referred to as a, quote, dropout yard. It is one of several special protective units within the Federal Bureau of Prison System that houses informants, people convicted of sex crimes, former gang members, and former law enforcement personnel. These specialized facilities are supposed to provide an additional measure of safety for high-profile inmates. In turn, such inmates tend to avoid conflicts and disciplinary infractions prevalent in the wider prison population for fear of losing their protected status. Yeah, so dropout yards apparently like where you go if you've done something particularly bad, if you're notable. Again, sex crimes, you know, p- people who um, typically are not treated well in the overall prison system, and they all come with baggage. So the idea is there's less politics among the prisoners. Doesn't seem to have helped Chauvin here, clearly has a target on his back over the George Floyd killing. His lawyer, actually Chauvin's lawyer, had expressed concerns about his safety in this facility, saying he should be kept separately from the rest of the prison population. It's something that was done in state prison in Minnesota, but not done federally here. And it does come as a lot of scrutiny over incidents in the federal prison system. Jill, we've been reporting on it. Uh, The assault comes less than five months after Larry Nassar. He's the doctor convicted of sex abuse of the uh, female gymnast. He was stabbed multiple times at a federal prison in Florida earlier this year. By the way, the prison he's at is also another one of those so-called dropout yards. It follows the release of a uh, major Justice Department report detailing incompetence and mismanagement at federal prisons uh, that have led to a number of deaths in recent years, just a lack of staffing, underfunding, overcrowding, lack of an appropriate number of prison guards. In many cases, the cooks and the bus drivers having to act as prison guards in some of these federal facilities. Um, And it does come, Jill, as there's been some deaths in federal prison recently. Whitey Bulger, the famous, infamous Boston gangster, he was killed in prison. You then had sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein committing suicide in prison. A lot of sketchiness around that. Every time I report on that, Jill, people are like, come on, Mosh. I'm like, well, you prove it to me otherwise. That's what we know officially, folks, about Jeffrey Epstein. And then, of course, Earlier this year, you had the uh, Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, commit suicide in a federal prison medical center. So a lot of questions over the uh, state of our federal prison system, um, given that these incidents just keep happening. I'm still stuck on the fact that cooks and drivers are acting as prison guards. That's crazy. That's how short-staffed our federal prisons are right now. So not surprised that, um, you know, some of these incidents keep happening. All right. From NBC News, police and federal agents searched on Sunday for a gunman who shot and wounded three male college students of Palestinian descent in Burlington, Vermont. Authorities are investigating the shooting as a likely hate crime. A man with a pistol shot the three victims on the street near the University of Vermont on Saturday evening and then ran away. Two of the victims are U.S. citizens. The third is a legal U.S. resident. They're all 20 years old. At the time of the attack, two of the men were wearing a keffiyeh, which is that traditional black and white checkered scarf associated with the Palestinian cause. The victims were reported to have been speaking Arabic as well when they were attacked. Police say the gunman opened fire on the three men after he began to shout at and harass them. And they say that he then fired four shots. 
The families ID'd the victims as one Hisham Awartani. He's a student at Brown University. There's also Kinan Abdelhamid. He's a student at Haverford College in Pennsylvania. And Tassin Ahmed, he is a uh, student over at Trinity College in Connecticut. All three of them are graduates of the Ramallah Friends School. That's a secondary school in the West Bank. That's where they knew each other from. Two of the students were visiting the home of the third student in Burlington, Vermont, over the Thanksgiving holiday. As of Sunday, all three were in medical care, two with gunshot wounds to the torso, one who was shot in the lower extremities. Two are now stable. One sustained much more serious injuries, uh, and they'll continue to monitor the condition. Jill, as of late Sunday, still no word on uh, any details on the suspect. Okay, now to some business news from CNBC. Black Friday e-commerce spending popped about 7.5% from a year earlier, reaching a record $9.8 billion in the U.S., according to an Adobe Analytics report. $5.3 billion of the online sales came from mobile shopping. The best-selling categories of Black Friday were electronics, like smartwatches and televisions, along with toys and gaming. Adobe expects the spending strength to hold over the weekend and through Cyber Monday today, with the biggest bargains still ahead. The report forecasts that online shoppers spent roughly $10 billion over the course of Saturday and Sunday and will spend a record $12 billion on Cyber Monday. Get rolling, folks. The day is young, depending on when you're listening to us. The momentum was already set on Thanksgiving Day, which saw a 5.5% increase from last year with $5.6 billion spent just on Thanksgiving. Separate figures from Salesforce show that on Thanksgiving alone, they believe that actually $7.5 billion was spent, and Black Friday saw $16.5 billion in sales. Um, Jill, people clearly, despite inflation, despite increased credit card debt, still getting out there and spending. According to a new Deloitte survey, 95% of Americans say they plan to holiday shop. That is up from 92% uh, last year and 88% in 2021, coming out of COVID there. So I uh, hope none of you are friends with the 5% who don't plan to holiday shop this year. <laughs> 95% of Americans plan to holiday shop. Right now, the uh, average that people plan to spend on their holiday shopping, just over $1,600, wow. $1,652 on their holiday shopping this year. That's the average, Americans tell surveyors. Maybe I'm just not doing it right in my house. Uh, it doesn't even come close to that. <laughs> Jill, it's not how much you spend. It's yes. the meaning behind the gift. We should make note, we had a Black Friday sale for Mo News Premium over the weekend. It did great. And rest assured, there's a Cyber Monday special for all of you to join Mo News Premium right now. 40% off, just 50 bucks a year for Mo News Premium. You can also give the gift of Mo News Premium over at mo.news. It allows you to support what we're doing here, support this podcast, um, but also get access for an entire year for just $50 um, to our Mo News members Instagram account where we answer your questions daily, as well as our premium pod where we release episodes first, as well as release exclusive episodes. You can do that all over at mo.news slash premium. The code cyber50, one word, to ensure you get Mo News Premium for an entire year for just $50. Check it out. Look at you, Mo News. Um, you know what? I realize actually that the reason that I don't spend that much on gifts, I was pondering this while you were talking, is because I actually make very personalized photo gifts. That's kind of my thing. I make calendars and mugs, and I spend an obscene amount of time on it, like way more than any human should spend on on making that type of stuff. So I think that that is my excuse for why I don't wind up. Time is money, Jill. It's true. The amount of time you put in worth way more than $1,652. <laughs> I think so. Priceless, one might say. 
And finally, from Axios, fearful that noise complaints are putting a damper on the nation's seemingly limitless zeal for pickleball, the sports governing body has created a, quote, quiet category for new products and even invited manufacturers to start innovating. Fights over the high decibel level of pickleball have gotten the sport banned at city parks and homeowners associations. So USA Pickleball has hired acoustic experts to come up with sound barriers and other noise solutions for public pickleball courts, making considerable investments in the issue over the last 15 months. It has also created a quiet category for equipment that delivers essentially 50% or less of the acoustic footprint of equipment commonly sourced and used in community parks, according to the organization. One official saying at first they were concerned that the technology required to reduce the acoustic signature would significantly change the nature of the sport. But in the end, they say we came up with the specs that we were comfortable with because they needed to be achievable. They said too low a target would be too difficult and present engineering challenges. And they also needed to be meaningful. All right. Shh. <laughs> it's pickleball time. We're gonna we're gonna treat it like golf and tennis now, folks. Um, apparently, USA Pickleball last week announced the certification of the first product in the quiet category called the Owl Paddle. It's certified to be fifty percent quieter than normal pickleball paddles. Say that ten times quick. Pickleball paddles. Apparently, standard pickleball paddles, Jill, register, uh, they believe, 1,200 hertzes, a near-harmful decibel range of 85-plus, just to put that in basic terms. 80 decibels is the typical level of an alarm clock or vacuum cleaner. A power tool clocks in at 90, so that's what apparently it sounds like as people are playing pickleball, and which is why they're getting all these complaints. So they're trying to shh, make pickleball slightly quieter and slightly more tolerable for the non-pickleball people out there who you know aren't ready for the, the surge that has happened in pickleball these last couple of years. I told you I played pickleball for the first time a few weeks ago. I didn't notice that it was particularly loud, but I guess I was just in that environment, you know, maybe if it was next to a neighborhood or something. I I don't know. I didn't I didn't pick up on it being so so loud like that. Jill, I'm headed to Florida in a few weeks around uh the end of the year. We'll be partaking in some pickleball. I am now going to pay closer attention to how loud or not loud the sport is uh, and see if this is really an issue. Clearly, pickleball uh, has gotten the message here from some folks that they need to shh, just make it a bit quieter. <laughs> All right, Jill, now time for On This Day in History. As we sometimes do, we begin about a thousand years ago today. It was November 27th. The year 1095, Pope Urban II made perhaps the most influential speech of the Middle Ages, giving rise to the Crusades. He called on Christians in Europe to begin to wage war against Muslims to reclaim the Holy Land. It would turn into the First Crusade. Nearly 100,000 people would take him up on his call to take back Jerusalem for Christianity against Islam. They would be successful in that crusade. It would go back and forth. There would end up being seven crusades over 200 years. Ultimately, uh, Islam would reclaim Jerusalem after that last crusade. But Jill, I thought we should make note of it because we keep talking about that neck of the woods <laughs> uh, on the podcast and just, you know, important context going back a thousand years um, on this day. All right, to some lighter topics now, turning 99 years old today. Many of us watched it on Thursday. I don't know if you did, Jill. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Sure did. On this day in 1924, the first Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was held in New York City. Jill, they didn't have balloons until three years in, 
But uh, I got a hold of an ad for that first thing, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade for 1924. They promised a tremendous pageant of tableau, comedians, tragedians, elephants, bears, camels, monkeys, clowns, brass bands, and everything that makes a real circus parade so dear to everybody. Sounds like must-see TV, although there was no TV. <laughs> no, elephants, bears, camels, monkeys, clowns. Now we just have some oversized balloons. But your Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on this day in history. On this day in 1895, through the wheel drawn up by a man named Alfred Nobel, sound familiar? He was a Swedish chemist, engineer, industrialist who invented dynamite. Uh, he established in his will the Nobel Prize, which of course is given out in several categories, including peace. Ironic for a guy who developed dynamite. And on this day, 50 years ago, 1973, the U.S. Senate voted overwhelmingly in favor of making Gerald Ford the vice president of the United States. At the time, uh, Richard Nixon's first VP, Spiro Agnew, had resigned. He was uh, charged with bribery related to his time as governor of Maryland. He resigns as vice president. Nixon ends up nominating Gerald Ford to be vice president. And then a little over eight months later, Gerald Ford becomes the next president of the United States as Nixon then resigns. All right, now to a little music history. Jill, that, of course, is Don't You Want Me by the Human League, as we mentioned uh, at the top of the pod. So this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion. But do you remember when I said I didn't love 80s music? This is like the genre of 80s music that I don't (laughs) like. There's something about it that's like nails on a chalkboard. (laughs) So thanks for that. On this podcast. (laughs) Now it's in my head, Moj, and you've ruined my Monday (laughs) after this holiday. All right, and finally, now to another song that some people might get mad at us for putting in their heads for the rest of the day. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold you back anymore. Turning 10 years old today, Jill, Frozen came out in theaters on this day in 2013. Moshe, I think that you will find as a girl dad, of all of the things that you are going to be forced to watch, Frozen, not bad. Actually, the music is really good. There's a lot of character development. I am a big fan of Frozen. And there's a sequel too, right? Frozen 2, even I have a hard time following it, but um, I'm a big fan of, I'd say, of the whole franchise. So the writers really mailed it in on the sequel there, huh? Like most sequels, they probably didn't need to get made, and it felt like they Mm. just didn't know what to do. So it just, it was, it felt like, they, it jumped the shark a bit. All right. Stay tuned for my review of Frozen <laughs> yes. when uh, when we allow young Olivia to have some screen time in the coming years. Oh, it will be sooner than you think. Um, okay. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And thanks to all of you who have joined Mo News Premium. Again, we have a special deal today, Cyber 50, for just 50 bucks to join Mo News Premium for the year, access to all of our extra platforms, uh, and of course, support our independent journalism, support what we're doing here on our main platforms as well. So appreciate all of you who will consider joining. Uh, the code is Cyber 50. Head over to mo.news slash premium to join today. Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.